Welcome to Scooby-Doo's or Scooby-Don'ts. The original podcast that painstakingly goes through all Scooby-Doo media in search of those two Scooby-Doo absolutely, or Scooby-Don't under any circumstance. I'm your host, Amelia. And I'm your host, Billy. And we're watching The Curse of Kenny Aku. You know, I was at a party. Recently? Yeah, and everybody had matching towels. And then there was a rock. But you shouldn't have been but at a party during a pandemic, Well, you selfish jag. But it, it, it wasn't a rock, it was a rock lobster. That's right, I fooled you. This, this wasn't a real story. It is, it is, it's a rock lobster reference. Got you. Welcome, everybody. It's been a minute. Listeners, I'm sure you know that I knew that he was going for a Rock Lobster reference, and I was hoping to shame him into silence before he got there, so I'm very sorry I was unable to for both myself and you. The Curse of Kaniaku. It's rare for for this series to leave U.S. soil. So, I mean, this is one of the rare travel episodes. It's taking place in Japan... We know that from at first glance because there is a presumed sumo wrestler enjoying a soak in a bathhouse. Don't give me that look. I don't assume he's a sumo wrestler just because he's a large man. I, I mean, I guess I did. A I do presume it, but diaper didn't give it away. It that could just be bathhouse attire. If you know, get as naked as possible without getting it out. That could that could be their rule. <laughs> How many bathhouses have you tried to go into dick out and with, have been a- With noodle wagon? <laughs> no, not a- out immediately. <laughs> I can't say this is a common occurrence for me, but <laughs> for other other men, perhaps. Pretty sure you get completely nude in bathhouses. Why? And they're segregated by gender. Maybe I want to keep a little something secret. Then Maybe don't that's... go to a bathhouse! <laughs> have a fucking shower! That's reasonable. We're still at first glance because, you know, what we have is this man soaking in a bathhouse while... And then he dances, all right? Yeah. Can we move on? It was the stupidest opening I think I've yet to see from Be Cool. All right, I had a little more, but I will instead just give you the premise what, because... What, that he DDRs with the janitor? Yeah, there was a... Pre- the, oh, I thought there was going to be a little conflict between them. There was a standoff moment, but then it turns out they both liked the song that the, uh, the, the custodial man was jamming to. Here's a premise. Fred tries to solve a 700-year-old mystery in Japan, while Daphne becomes a viral sensation. I do appreciate Fred's earnestness here. I appreciate him being excited for the 700-year-old mystery. I'm less on board for the Daphne storyline. Where do you want to start with here? I will. I think Velma. Because she's the... She's the worst part of this series, probably, aside from the art and the writing and everything else. And and so Velma, the Velma Vision, she's in Japan again. She was here before for, like, a science fair. Yes. Or some shit. And this is the second time she's been to Japan for a science fair within the last 20 years within Scooby-Doo. Big science fair community down there. Might be throwing out some stereotypes. I'm not, I'm, I'm, you know the thin ice I normally walk on? I'm drowning right now. Banging on the ice from below, trying to get back up. I was just talking in general. 
the be cool writers oh, that they are the it. ones that put them in Japan. Oh, but we can yeah. th- I can throw them under the bus. <laughs> yeah. Velma loves Japan. She loves the manners, the order, and the traditions. Mm-hmm. And then she goes on to say that everything... I that believe everything encompasses a lot the, of things. The manners and shit, like, yeah, she can be a weeb for rules and regulation, but there's no way that she is for the modern culture of Japan. When Shaggy there and Scooby no run, fucking way. Shaggy and Scooby run through an arcade. Is is that what you're into, Velma? Because that is part of everything. Yeah, the arcades, the fashion. Like Velma's not gonna be into any of that. She's literally just here for rules and regulations and. I mean, honestly, you've chosen a pretty misogynistic country in which to do that in, so... I mean, that's a lot of... Thanks, Velma! You look at where a lot of rules and regulations come from, misogyny usually plays into it in a major way. Now, you you say she isn't going to be on board for the fashion, though. Because I think she is on board for the fashion at the beginning of this episode. Oh, when it's a kimono? No, no, no. When the fashion in Japan is to dress exactly like Velma. Because yeah, because she became a thing in Japan. Now, I am of two minds with this arc. There's What happens in this episode is that Velma was here previously. She, she became a viral sensation, and everybody's got Velma fever. They've dressed like her. There are Velma mascots, etc., etc. What happens in this episode is that everyone just sees Daphne, likes her better, and starts dressing and basing themselves off of Daphne. To which Velma immediately gets jealous and bitter. And here's the thing. I I think the part with Daphne is... I have issues with that, of how quickly it happens, and how Daphne doesn't earn it in any, any way. And I think it's because I'm seeing it as it happens. I'm actually a little bit on board with Velma is big in Japan because we didn't see what happened last time we, she was here. That it could have been been anything. She could have appeared on TV. She actually could have had a viral moment. Whereas with Daphne, it it feels a little more like, ooh, look at these Japanese people just latching on to a trend they see. I mean, that's also the thing with Velma. What do you think she went on TV and the Japanese people saw her do that made her a I, sensation. I mean... I don't know. It's it's left unknown. So I, I think it's easier for me to accept that and to be a little intrigued. Because there are celebrities who are very big in Japan who aren't as big here. I couldn't name them because to, I'm here. You have to star in a Japanese commercial of some kind, I think, to hit those heights. And I don't think Velma would have done that. Maybe the winner of the science fair got to do promotional work for the next year's science for science. Now, here's the thing that I don't like about this storyline, is watching Velma once again become bitter and jealous that Daphne has done something. And I don't even care really as much as you do that Daphne is having this happen instantly, because that's in itself is the joke. Like, oh, look at the golden girl. She has Mm -hmm. changed the face of Japan in a day. I don't, I didn't care about that at all. I just didn't want to see Velma be a stupid bitch about it the whole time. Like, if you're so smart, Velma, why don't you know that the fashion cycle moves very quickly? Obviously, Japan was not going to be dressed in your rockin' turtleneck for the rest of their (laughs) fucking lives. No, I mean... If she's so smart about everything, why didn't she know that fashion moves on? You see, that... I'm not as torn up about that as I have it in other episodes. Because this, it sort of feels like, oh, Velma had this thing, this unexpected success in Japan, and she got to have that. 
And then, like what you're saying, Golden Girl comes in and takes that away from her. Okay, well, Velma also got early acceptance into every United States university, so it's not to say that Velma doesn't come from the school of hard knocks, okay? That's that's true. I have no sympathy for this Velma being sad that she's not a thing anymore. She is my least favorite Velma of any fucking series, and I could not give a single solitary damn about her pouting that the trend cycle has moved on. I do not fucking care. Right. I am on Daphne's side this episode. Okay, we're we're a little at odds here. I because I I think I empathize a little bit more with Velma. Yeah, because you're a fucking loser, and you presume yourself that if any if you ever kicked off a trend, right. that would be the highlight of your fucking life. Absolutely would be. However, us trendsetters <laughs> on the other side of the couch. <laughs> You have eviscerated me, because that is exactly it. That's just exactly why I'm empathizing with here. Oh boy. Um, alright, I mean, that covers Velma. Uh, fashion report, she does get a kimono specifically designed for her, based on, on Velma's usual outfit. Oh yeah, because an orange and red kimono <laughs> has never existed in it's all of brand, time and history. Brand new. It's got a little high collar <laughs> matching the turtleneck. That's a kimono collar. Well, it translates easily. Let's look at the other side of that coin then. Let's look at what actually Daphne does in this episode. The Daphne dilemma. Jackwords! It's a backwards jacket because her front was cold and her back was hot. And this is how. So was she just walking around Japan tits out for a bit? How did her front get so cold while her back was so hot? Were they coming from the bathhouse? Because as previously discussed, it that's a no. that's apparently a free reign on on nudity there. Yes, most people don't soak in water fully clothed. If you're shy. Once again, don't go to the fucking bathhouse, Billy. God. <laughs> Mo- okay, here's the thing about the the jackwards, the backwards jacket. Most jackets do fasten. Yeah, they do. <laughs> so if you're, if you're, fr- I understand about your back being hot. That is frustrating. But if your front's cold, you can, you can simply zip that up. Zip it. So yeah, that's what kicks off her style. The jackwards. Yeah. Because some other highly impressionable teen girl sees it and immediately starts doing it as well. And it, and it happens again where Daphne wears her own kimono, but just like piss poorly, just like throwing cloth around her any old way she can figure it out. Well, that's what you get when you send a Westerner into a dressing oh, room very much. with a skin of silk and is like, wrap yourself up like <laughs> this is an actual kimono. I do not blame what? Daphne for not being able to figure it out. This I don't is, think I could. This is like Tobias's joke in season four, where he's trying to wear like the... The sari in India, and he ends up wearing, like, a Marilyn Monroe dress because he ties it around his waist with, like, a bungee cord. (laughs) But, I mean, this, apparently, however she did it, does kick off because then you see everyone else wearing these costumes. Her kimono is like she was fooling around with someone and hastily had to put clothing back on. Yeah, and maybe that's the look. Ooh, look like you just got fucked. (laughs) I'm sorry, listeners, I know I got... That wasn't what you wanted to hear from me. Now, she's never really behind being turned into a trend maker. It just kind of happens around Daphne. Mm -hmm. She does try to, I think, make light of it with Velma in the kimono store when she's just like, well, the 
wrong way is the right new right way. Yeah. And this is going to be misconstrued in the worst fucking ways. What's wrong is right. How about no? <laughs> it, it, I mean, and I get Daphne being a little aloof about this because Daphne starts trends. It is what she does. So I, I think to her, this is nothing new. It's just the fact that it was new to Velma, that she had it here. And then all Daphne gets to take it again. Daphne's not getting accepted into Yale. And that's, that's a conversation okay. they should have between the two of them. Like, Velma has got her own thing going on. You can't have your cake and eat it too, bitch. That actually would have been a real nice resolution if Daphne was like, yeah, look, this comes really easily to me, but look at what comes easily to you. I mean, I wouldn't buy that for one second with this Velma because she always has an open book on her lap. So it's not knowledge that she just inherently knows ever. It's that she's pre-researched. Right. Not even pre-researched because researching we see on her the fly. with the fucking book at the beginning of every episode. She's cut. She always cuts it close to the wire. This this Velma, she's smart, but a procrastinator. Let's look at some fellas, shall we? How about those Shaggy and Scooby shenanigans? Yeah, how about them? They end up in a ramen house, and they want the most unusual dish on the menu, uh, which is bee larva or tuna eyes or other random shit, squid ink, soup or something is one of them. And they turn it all down because they've eaten all those things before. Yeah, they've- And there's no way. They won't eat any Irish food. This is exactly what I was going to bring up. They will not eat any food in Ireland, but they have eaten bee larva and tuna eyeballs floating in a stew of blood. Yeah, they've, they've eaten bee larva on ice cream, and they've had tuna eyes as a pizza topping, and, and they, they uh, went on and on and on. But, yeah, in we previous f- episodes, we specifically harped on the fact that they do not try, quote-unquote, ethnic foods. There was one episode even where Scooby wouldn't eat something really benign. And I can't remember what it was, but, like, they were turning their noses up at just food that you would eat normally day to day. Like, it was probably garlic or something. Like, something (laughs) really basic. One very specific thing. And they wouldn't eat it. They turn their nose up at it, and then they go to Ireland, and they won't eat anything from Ireland. Like, you're not going to eat a a hash brown or something? Like, it's potato base, Christ. Like. (laughs) Now, admittedly, when that happened in Ireland... We harped on it because they should be more like this. More like what we're seeing in this episode when, yeah, they will eat anything. They are excited by those weird combinations. Bring it back to Scooby-Doo Where Are You and his chocolate-covered corn cobs. These are, these are weird foodies. These are the foodies that roll up to Bob's Burgers in that first episode and are like, are you still serving human meat? <laughs> Their distraction of the monster this episode, because we need to have, like, five straight minutes of this every episode, is to DDR the monster. Get him on an arcade game. Mm-hmm. Thrilling! It's a bit, well, I mean, it's a bit, it's a big competition there. It's visually interesting. Big yeah. crowd around them. In-universe, I'm talking, of course. What was with Shaggy's outfit? Is the, like, this like, the, like, white suit and yeah. brown hair? I have I no idea. I feel like this is a reference I'm not getting. Is there an Iron Chef, but for DDR? Like, an, I that's what the announcer looks yeah, like. Yeah, like an actual, like, televised DDR competition. I feel like you'd have to do something else with it to make that work. Like, you'd have to change up the terrain. 
terrain. Terrain, yeah. Have it happen in a river. Back of a moving car. Yeah, oh my god. Add a little danger. You could put them on harnesses. So that they don't actually fall and hit the ground. But, like, again, visual interest. During that DDR scene, Scooby is wearing fingerless gloves. And he has fingers while he's in them. Human fingers. And of all the weird body shit we've seen from (laughs) Scooby over the years, his ability in Be Cool to have fingers on demand is the worst. This is not the first time we have seen Scooby-Doo with human mandibles. Should I- I, now, I actually- I was planning on starting the stat count stuff soon. I haven't quite yet. Should I add a finger count? I guess we'll see. All right. I will keep an eye out for it at the very least to to follow up on this criticism. There was that moment in the, uh, when they were looking for the Japanese cuisine and they seemed to accidentally say something terrible in Japanese. Like they repeat what somebody has said and just gets (gasps) from everyone in there. Don't just repeat things in a language you don't know. Why did the guy who originally said it not get a big gas? He said it quietly. And then they said it loud, and it seemed like it was coming from them. Uh, I will, I will give a fashion report for uh, later on in the episode. They do when they're in their lure mode. Uh, Shaggy's in a finely tailored Japanese suit, and he's combed his hair, and he looks like he's gotten his life together. <laughs> Good for him. Good for him. My last note for them is that at one point, Daphne encourages the gang to call Velma cool, and calling Velma cool causes Shaggy and Scooby physical pain. Yeah. And I don't think I've ever related to Shaggy more than at this point, where they're just like, yeah, you're so cool. (laughs) I think I wrote there, yeah, Scooby's fake smile takes up a third of the screen. (laughs) Now, I can measure that later, but that's my gut feeling, that a third of the screen is this dog's distended smile. Smile. Body horror, we are back in this episode in a big way. I also noted uh, there is a cursed recipe in this episode, and they are down to eat it. <laughs> boys, boys, if you, turn your, if you turn your noses down on anything, please let it be the legitimately cursed recipe. The Fred Factor. He gives them all ten minutes to have a mystery-less vacation. They find out about a 700-year-old mystery, and he wants to jump right on it, but it's either Shaggy and Scooby or Daphne are just like, ah, no, we're here for vacation. And he was like, fine, ten minutes. And he sets that on his watch. He does. And then sits quietly reading a Japanese newspaper until the alarm goes (laughs) off. No, No, point of order. Does Fred read Japanese, or is he just sitting there, sort of quietly flipping through, uh, just for the act? <laughs> I, l- I like to believe. The page. I like to believe that he's instantly learned how to read Japanese out of spite. Okay, okay. <laughs> on the flight over, he had one of those books on tape that was like, "You learn Japanese while you sleep." That's usually for audio, you know, speaking. Well, a this, tape can't teach you how to read. It described the shapes. It described them very well. Admittedly, this ten minutes is more of a vacation than they normally get. Like, Fred completely does go hands-off. He lets them go where they want. Just wait for that little beep of his watch. And then he starts following up on the mystery. 
Other episodes, like the most that's happened, remember at the pier, they wanted to enjoy their vacation, and Fred went off relentlessly on his own. He's grown from that. He's not going to burn himself out like he did in some Fred time. He's going to take the ten minutes to breathe. This is, this, is an, this is an improvement, Fred. This is a self-improvement. He then goes on to explode a bunch of fireworks and burns down a huge segment of wooden Japanese structures. Oh my god. Are uh, they in Tokyo or are they in Kyoto? Because if that was in Kyoto, that would be a huge bad no-no. <laughs> Velma specifically says Tokyo, Japan. Okay. Yeah. Um, I still wrote down I am worried about my stat count. <laughs> when I got to that point. Oh, it's, you're going to have to look up a lot of Japanese building regulations. Yeah. I know that buildings that are made out of wood have to be rebuilt every 20 years. Just because of, like, wood rot? Well, to keep them safe. Yeah. Mo- moist area. There's a lot of height restrictions, too, because of earthquakes. Right. That makes sense. So, hey, maybe they were scheduled for demolition. Fred did a good job. Well, I don't think every 20 years the... They set fireworks careening through the neighborhood. The family that lives in the two-story wooden structure has to knock it the fuck down to rebuild it completely. They call in an inspector before they let the the white man from America burn it down with fireworks. Fair enough. A moment with Fred that I loved near the end of this episode. Uh, This monster, uh, Kaniaku, gets a Terminator ending. When Fred crushes the crab in some, like, machinery. Like, that was... What was that? Was that Terminator or Terminator 2? I think it's just the first Terminator, but... It's a good moment. It's, it's one of those homages that Mr. Incorporated did a lot of the time. Where it feels like a very knowing wink to a genre that you're playing with. And it also ended... With Fred making a pun that no one appreciates. No, it's he doesn't do a pun. He does a clever play on words. Shaggy ah. and Scooby have a pun, and that immediately shuts down Fred's play on words. Well, because Fred calls it a crushed station. Like crust station, but crushed. A crushed station. Yeah, I don't remember what the pun was, but... So, something a lot easier to do. Like, I'm like, don't be, uh, you know what it was? It was, don't be so crabby. <laughs> and, and then, though, after defeating the monster, after he's arrested, he runs away. Uh, Fr- oh, he doesn't run away. He, he gets arrested. Fred, Fred has the mask. And he just casually tosses that mask into the garbage. That's a well-made mask that from a, from a <laughs> monster. That, that's a trophy of your mystery solving, Fred. Put that in your bat cave. Well, maybe Fred doesn't consider scalping people to be a trophy. Now that's not scal- demasking, demas- demastication. Please, he can't. <laughs> he can't tell the difference. Well, then I I understand why he would throw it away into the garbage if he can't tell the difference. But he could mount that on a lovely like one of those heads that you get for wigs. Put it under a bell jar. Beautiful. Now, it should be said that when he throws it away, he does find the actual 700-year-old cursed scroll, which is a damn good find. But I like the mask. I feel like we should start questioning why all these easily solved mysteries of other countries can't be solved until a group of white people come in. Because it was the same in the Mexican town. Mm-hmm. They couldn't find 
some gold that was buried really shallowly in the town square. And, like, the, the actual mystery that Fred solves today isn't the 700-year-old mystery. It's, it's He just finds something. Yeah, it's and it's, it's a... The current mystery is solved, and then he, oh, stumbles upon the answer to that. I don't know, upon further inspection, that's probably going to be seen to be fake. You know, they don't stick around long enough to actually, they're going to take credit for this, but. All right, minor mentions. Uh, the first one that I have here is uh, Aki, Velma's old lab partner. She's Velma's science fair partner, but ditches Velma instantly for Daphne. Yeah. So. So clearly, you know, it's one of those things where, like, you have a close relationship for a short while, but not really lasting. I don't blame her. Velma <laughs> is the biggest fucking buzzkill to be around when it's this Velma. She's gonna fucking bemoan that she's not part of the fashion cycle any longer. Right. I don't have time to listen to this, Velma. <laughs> Come on, Velma, just put on one of the Daphne kimonos and go, and go on with it. <laughs> uh, Officer Hiroshi... This, this police officer, he's, he's gritty. He's got a black shirt and red tie. He always walks out of the smog. Very much, he's, I got some, uh, some Blade Runner vibes from him, or potentially whatever Blade Runner was ripping off. The book, like, presumably? Well, okay, but I mean, <laughs> I mean visually. Like, I don't know, there's a, um, there's, there's just like this 80s sort of cyberpunk vibe to him a little bit. Mm-hmm. He has a beard, which is an absolute no-no in Japan. Well, that's how you know he's the even, bad boy of the law. Even to this day, it's unprofessional looking. He wouldn't have been promoted to detective with a beard, because he would have been perceived as, as dirty, gross, and unprofessional. Which is something I can agree with hardly. I hate facial hair. Shave it, men. It looks like shit. <laughs> I apologize, because I know I didn't shave this morning. So I know I'm a little stubbly right now, and I will, I will shave that post-recording. But first, I'm going to tell you about Mr. Yuhara, the bathhouse owner. He owns the bathhouse. Yeah, great! He's... The kimono shop owner is next. He owns a kimono shop! Yeah, Mr. Kagawa! Um, I, really, they are, they're just older Japanese men, and I don't have a whole lot of notes for them. Well, you shouldn't have written them down, then. They, well, they're minor mentions, and they're important that we mention they're here. The bathhouse owner, In a minor really? way. Yeah, because because when we actually get to the monster, he is involved. So I'm just telling you, he's here. He's in the mix. The actual villain, Kaniaku, uh, who I first described as big-ass giant fucking crab motherfucker. I like a crab demon. Why? Beca because all the crab... There's something about a crustacean. It's so otherworldly. It's so not of the beasts that we know. Like, I don't know, it's hard on the outside. It can smack you with its claws, or, or snip you with its claws, or it'll get you. What kind of scorpion? That's on land. Scorpions? I count in that vibe. A scorpion monster and a crab monster. If they fought each other, I would think that's cool. Um, and we've had many crab monsters... Throughout the years of Scooby-Doo, the first one I can remember is, I think, in Scooby Goes Hollywood, but they've often not gotten their due. This one gets his due as a, as a main episode monster. What about Mystery Incorporated? They had a whole crab monster episode there. And I was all, I was equally excited. Why didn't it get its due there? He got, he, he may have. I don't remember it so much, but 
I enjoy, I enjoy a crab monster unilaterally. It probably, I, you know, if the next eight episodes are all crab monsters, maybe I'll lose its shimmer a little bit. But right now, they're rare enough that I enjoy them. Uh, the lore behind this crab monster, the, the quote-unquote 700-year-old mystery, is that uh, a man fell in love with a princess and wanted to impress her with a special meal. Uh, so, he made a deal with the spirit of the sea that he would receive this special scroll that had the recipe, but he had to make it exactly as per the recipe. But while it was being cooked, someone stole the scroll, he couldn't do it correctly, so now he is cursed to eternal life as a crab demon. Master criminal plan. Who's, who's in the crab suit? It is actually Mr. Kagawa, the kimono shop owner. And he wants, well, I have written down here condos with a question mark. That's all yes. I took in from the fucking info dump at the end of this. His, his family owned a seafood company for 12 generations. Uh, however, uh, Mr. Yuhara, who owns the bathhouse and several other properties, is just a big real estate guy, bought it up and now he's going to build condos on it. And Mr. Kagawa wants to force him out of business so he can buy back his family's seafood company. Okay. Kill him. The, the kill the bathhouse owner. Kill, oh, well. Murder him. Murder the landowner. Just fucking murder him. That is an option, but it's not as whimsical. Go to the Yukaza. They're, they are in the mix. Like, Jesus Christ. <laughs> Instead, he chose, he chose Crab Monster. So feasibility, you know what? He chose Crab Monster, and then who does he harass as a Crab Monster? Some American tourists. He doesn't even go That's after true. the bathhouse owner. Well, he did at first, like, in the, in the cold idiot. open, he went after the bathhouse. Just kill him. I'm so done with these villains. Just kill him. <laughs> I mean, you could say that about so many of them. Yeah, these. and I have. You, you repeatedly have. You've advocated for more guns from villains and to just get them. So, yeah, I could say this is unfeasible. I I mean, he's a scary crab monster, but it's it's a wild-ass plan, buddy. It's a wild-ass plan. How is he controlling the multiple legs? Well, are all... There are four legs. Maybe he controls sort of like the, the thigh area with his own leg, and that just moves both in a way. Like, he's a mechanical genius. Is it scary? I, I really like the crab monster, Amelia. I really like crab monsters. I like the way that this one has, like, in, an inhuman proportion of legs. I, I even like the face. So I'm going to go high. This, this is an 8 out of 10 for me. You are way too generous. Did you, not, did you not hear how much I love crab monsters in Yeah, general? I'm talking about be cool in general. You have given everything, like, an 8. I'm telling, I'm calling a crab monster like I see him. Mm-hmm. And it's, a, I give so many human monsters, like, a seven. So, this, this is more about the ongoing problem since the beginning of Scooby-Doo's or Scooby-Don'ts that my scale runs from six to ten. Do you have any other general thoughts or feelings on this episode? Uh, can I give a terror scale? Absolutely. Just to fuck with you, I'm putting it down to, like, a three. I think... 
In real life, if I were to come upon a very large crab, like a coconut crab, that would be scary. But there is diminishing returns, I think, the bigger a crab gets. Okay. And this crab is just human size, so why wouldn't I just shoot it with a gun? Well, like, I wouldn't go at a coconut crab with a gun. Right. I would just run away, but this thing's charging at me? I would assume because of his hard carapace that bullets would just bounce off of it. Billy! Do you know how good humans are at making guns? <laughs> Apparently not. A gun is going to get through a fucking crab! <laughs> Giving way too much credit to crabs. Am I am I just very afraid of crabs? <laughs> um yeah. Yes, I have general thoughts or feelings. What are they? How come they don't put Shaggy and Fred in kimonos? How come the girls get put in kimonos? They're unisex items. Because of the Western mindset. That's gotta be it, right? That, they, that kimonos look a little bit like dresses. So we're not going to put the boys into them. Also, the whole master plan is condos. They probably should have saved that until they have an episode based in Toronto. <laughs> yeah, because that's what every small bit of land turns into eventually. I made, I made a fun note. At one point, we see a chibi version of the gang when they're very afraid. Always fun to play with while we're here in Japan. But, um, where are we landing on this in total? Is this episode a Scooby-Doo or a Scooby-Don't? I don't know. I never feel like Western cartoons like this really treat Japan properly. It's always a little awkward when they do these. And it's, it's probably to Be Cool Scooby-Doo's benefit that they stay in the United States so much. When's the, la when's the last time the gang was in Japan? The movie... Samurai something? Oh yeah, I was going to say, like, what's new Scooby-Doo? That as well. And it's fine if you go to Japan and you appreciate the culture with respect. You can do touristy type things like put on a kimono and walk around and as long as you're not an obnoxious dick about it, that's perfectly fine. But it always feels like they're being obnoxious dicks about it. Mm -hmm. and, and that's just, you know, that's Scooby-Doo in general, and it's probably- It's full of obnoxious yeah, dicks! Pro like. Probably Western animation in general. It's like, we, we got a real problem about going to other countries and, like, making these episodes about it. Like, who was the writer of this episode? How much knowledge of Japan were they truly bringing with them? I'm not saying anything here is particularly offensive. No, it, it, it's not. And I do appreciate that we actually get a feeling of like an actual area of Japan. Like this didn't feel like, oh, we're in Japan. Here's everything from Japan in this episode. It felt like we were in like sort of a more rundown area near the docks. On top of the misgivings of, of this particular gang being in Japan, Velma's storyline makes me want to slit my own wrists. The crab monster, whatever. It, uh, this is a Scooby Dome for me. Yeah, uh, I, uh, I really don't love the. Look, there's some fucking this final scene, <laughs> standing there pouting, feeling ever so sorry for herself. God damn it, I hate Velma. Yeah, I'm, I'm, <laughs> <laughs> I, I can tell. It's not subtle. I also like, like I said, I don't really like the Velma Daphne storyline. Uh, I do really like. 
the crab monster. I think, uh, I think Fred having his little 10 minute mini vacation is a very good joke that I wholeheartedly appreciate. One joke does not a good episode make. Yeah, and I'm, I'm trying to think Shaggy and Scooby's didn't really do much. I might, I might also go with a light don't for this. I was gonna push it to a maybe, but I think the things that I like about it aren't strong enough. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, you know. Just put the elements that are good somewhere else. Highlights to enjoy, but it's not going in my top three. Our, <laughs> oh boy. Well, um, Amelia, our next episode is titled Vote Velma. So I, I have a feeling that that particular character is going to be at the forefront of the episode again. And on that note. That's it from scooby Dooby us To scooby Dooby us I just don't understand why Velma has to be written to get everything she wants all the time. She takes them to an awful renaissance fair where her friends are justifiably miserable as fuck, and then they still have to apologize to her. She gets a full year being a trend in Japan, but then Daphne comes along and takes that inadvertently without malice, and we have to watch her pout for a whole fucking episode? What is this series relationship to Velma? Are you trying to make her the sympathetic lead? Or are you trying to annoy the shit out of me? Because you know, I can tell you what you're doing. You know, it's it's true. And I know we're in post-credits right now. And this is just supposed to be a bumper, but this is a legitimate conversation. What if there was a series of Scooby-Doo where Velma was just wholeheartedly successful and confident? Make Give Velma the traditional Daphne role of being, like, great. Let her be successful let her be happy and satisfied with that. Right, you know, prioritize those academics. Just, no, just make them all fucking confident in themselves. I was with you up until the point where we have to make her the Daphne character, because Daphne, up to a certain point in history, didn't do fucking anything herself. Right. She was just an extra body in the van. An extra body for a split-up moment. Just make them confident. And make them fucking friends! <laughs> Alright, Daphne Velma confident. Shaggy and Scooby can still be a complete shit show though, right? They have to be confident in their shit showedness. Well, <laughs> they're too stupid not to be.